Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey there, thanks for listening to Leading Simple, where we're out to help the overwhelmed. My goodness, I know I've been there and I'm still there at times. My name is Rusty George, and boy, we've got a fun episode for you today. I met Joe Saxton via other friends who have been on the podcast before, Carrie Newhoff and Brad Lominick. And they said, you got to talk to Joe, you got to talk to Joe. And I said, I don't know Joe. And they said, you'll never forget her. And she is an incredible leader, an incredible voice in the church world and leadership world. And her conversation was so fun. And we talked about all things from leadership to uh, kind of writing and, and getting a book out there, finding your voice, empowering women. And even her love for Target, which uh, did not plan on that one coming up, but boy, that was a good laugh. And she lives in Minnesota, which uh, also uh, brought a lot of conversation. And I know you're going to love listening to Joe. If you've not heard of her before, you will not soon forget her. So that's coming up uh, today. I'd love to hear your conversations and your questions. You can direct message me at uh, Rusty L. George on Instagram. And I told you last week, I would tell you what the L stands for. And here it is. Leonard. That's right. It is a family name. It was my grandfather's first name. And my first name is Russell, which is my father's middle name. And they put them together and came up with Russell Leonard George. You heard it here first. I prefer Rusty. Anyway, you can contact me at Rusty L. George. Hey, in case you didn't know, we are being sponsored this month by Gromentum. Gromentum is an incredible organization that works to help churches and organizations take the next step in their leadership level. Maybe you need an executive coach. Maybe you need someone to come in and work with your staff to help you start thinking about what matters most. It's so easy to get lost in the uh, you know the trees and we miss the forest. And so they really help you get a bird's eye view of what's going on, figure out what matters most and where to put your best efforts. These guys are great. I can't say enough good things about them. And you can find out more information about Gromentum uh, on our show notes. And they travel and they Zoom and they meet with anybody anywhere. So if you're in a small town in the middle of Kansas, they'll work with you. They have worked with people from there. If you're in a bustling city like Chicago or Atlanta, they will work with you as well. And they have. And they're great. And just tell them that Rusty sent you. Well, today, great conversation with Joe Saxton. She's author, speaker podcast host, leadership coach, and she's dedicated her career to growing leadership teams around the world and empowering women to find their purpose in their personal lives and in leadership. You're going to love this. Here we go. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's an honor to finally meet you, and uh, we have some mutual friends in, in Carrie Newhoff and Brad Lominick, but uh, I want to start off with a question that is on my mind, and that is this. Your parents are from Nigeria. You grew up in London. Yes. Why in the world do you live in Minnesota? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, at this time of year, I ask myself that question too, my friend. I really do. Uh, <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Wow. We have lived in the States about 15 years, 16, 16 years. Um, we moved, my husband and I moved with um, a few um, about four other families they were from our church and we were kind of doing a church swap and that was that time was in Phoenix Arizona so we landed when we landed in the states we were in Phoenix for for maybe three or four years both our kids were born there and um that was very hot <laughs> that was extreme heat yes. um, and then we lived in California Southern California 
um, for a couple of years. Oh. In, yeah, in Torrance, um, which was lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can I just have a moment's silence in Torrance? Yeah, it's beautiful over there. And, um, yeah, near the beach and everything. Mm. And then God, really, I mean, who else is there to blame or thank or, you know, surrender to? So we um, <laughs> initially moved about nine years ago. We moved to, we are working with a church for a couple of years, campus pastors at that point. Um, my husband went back into um, corporate, the corporate world. He was an engineer before he was a pastor. Um, now he does, well, I'm not entirely sure what he does, but it's too late to ask. So I think it's something fintech. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. It's like, what do you do? I mean, you, that, that's not a good one, is it? Yeah. <laughs> not good. No, it just gets embarrassing after a while. You just have to say, how was your day? <laughs> yeah, it's right. Thank you. Thank you. We have some people that have made that move to Minnesota, and they don't stay there long. It's, um, <clears throat> I think it's a novelty. When you grow up in California, you think, I think I'm ready for some snow. And they have no idea no. You know, what it's no. like to live in it and drive in it. No, they don't. Go to Big Bear. If you've, if, do you know what I mean? <laughs> don't, don't do, if you're a California native, don't get romantic about this. This is yeah. real. <laughs> it's real. You know, what a great point. Go to Big Bear, go to Mammoth, and then come home. Drive out of it. Exactly. Just, just day tripper, week tripper. Don't, don't hurt yourself, friends. It's okay. I get it. I got you. Well, I love, I love the British accent. If I could, if I could do it, I, I would. I think it's too late in the game to switch. But how have you been able to keep it for fifteen years living in the states? I guess you never lived in the South, did you? So that didn't take any no I'm, any toll on you. I, I I am very committed to my voice. Uh, Good for um, you. Because not only it's an it's an English accent, it's a London accent, and mm. I think I am. I I have a feeling this is true of big cities like a New York or an LA. Like when you're from a city, that's almost like your country. Mm. There are certain cities that are like your country, and and so to let go of of the Londonness would be a very big deal. Also, with the. Also, I think, I, what, 16 years, there has not been a week this accent has not been mentioned. I, I have got discounts. Um, it Always a great help in medical situations. Um, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> God bless America. I'm taking it. It works. So, yeah, that's why. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and just, you know, kind of Joe in a nutshell. What do they need to know about your story? Joe in a nutshell. <laughs> Well, I like nuts. It's a cashew nut. Um, <laughs> I am, like many of you, I've worn lots of hats over the years. So, like you said, Brit, Nigerian, both works. Um, I have been a church planter, campus pastor. Um, I have... A, um, I coach now. I'm a leadership coach. I speak. Oh, we all speak, but you know what I mean? Um, (laughs) um, I host a podcast. I write books. I'm I'm married to a guy called Chris. I have two teenage girls. Um, So those are the kind of things I do. Um, I do really like Target. I think we should talk about that at some point. Target. Yes. Target, friends. Yeah, that's worth moving to Minnesota for. I'm not going to lie to you because that's all of right. you elsewhere, you think you know your targets. The ones here are like other level. So, um, really, yeah. okay. So let's let's talk about that a little bit because I'm a fan of Target as well. Are I, you? I, well, yeah. I grew up in the Midwest, so everything's Walmart, and then you know Target comes out and it's kind of a upper scale Walmart, 
and there's yeah. more options there. Mm-hmm. And then Oprah mm-hmm. fell in love with it and called it Tarjay. And so now it's cool. Oh, and how that happened? Yes, yes. So, I, I mean, we find ourselves in Target a lot. So, what do, what do Targets in Minnesota look like since that's the headquarters? They're bigger. So I think what other people in, in other parts of the country have super targets, that's just our normal target. Do you know what I mean? In terms okay. of size and scope. In fact, to be a real nerd, and I should probably be embarrassed about this, but I'm not, I actually live near the first target. That's not my mm. local target because they're about five, six, seven minutes apart. But um, I live near T1, the, the original. <laughs> Is that similar to going to Starbucks on Pike Place, you know, in Seattle? It's the first one where it all began. And it's it's like a village. I think what I like about it is that it's a village. It's like a local village with your eye doctor. I mean, even if you don't use them, they're all there. The eye doctor, the doctor's there. (laughs) Starbucks is there. Your food are there. Your clothes are there. It's like if it's got that kind of village feel. Or maybe that's just because I go that often. But yeah, I've made friends there, all kinds of things. Do they all greet you when you walk in? Hey, Joe, kind of like Norm on Cheers, that kind of thing. There have been eras when that has happened. (laughs) There have been eras where people are like, you know, um, I, there was a star. There was a Starbucks. I probably shouldn't say this. There was a Starbucks near that Target that I, I used to work in a lot. And someone came in. I was having a meeting, and one of the staff said, "You're waiting for Joe, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> Sit there. She'll be with you in a minute. <laughs> It's your, it's your office away from home. Yeah, that was good, good times. Good they should times. charge you rent. That's great. All yeah, right. Okay. Well, you have had an opportunity to write books, to speak. Yeah. I know there are people out there that listen to us that think, you know, I'd like to do that. You know, I'd like to have an, a platform, an audience. You know, when did it take off for you? Because, you know, you're speaking, you're writing. When did people start to listen and you start getting some opportunities? I love that question. What if he was not a listen? Because um, I, I, I've yet to find that for myself. So go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's weird because of being in two countries as well. So okay. in the UK and, and a very different space. So, uh, I mean, when I, back in the day, Rusty, back in the day, the whole idea of speaking and all of that, the platform was whatever the ministry you were serving in. It wasn't even the thing that you know. So I remember I was at Bible college and I was talking to my mentor and I said, I, I, I kind of feel God called me to this stuff, which actually was not what I wanted to do at all. Um, I had other plans. I knew the plans I had for me. I thought they were better. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I remember her saying to me, she goes, if there's a platform for you, the question to ask is, what is the ministry of service that, the, that God's inviting you into? Mm. Um, and get on with that. Do that. And as you, in, the, in your faithfulness to that, you, um, it will emerge, which I thought was kind of romantic. And, and that, but at a gut level, it was, it was good for me. It was good. It was what I needed to hear. So I was initially a youth pastor. I wasn't a great one. I mean, I wasn't, I was boring. I wasn't like bad. <laughs> I'm just dull I, because I was really interested in the leaders. So I invested like anything into the youth leaders and the youth were kind of cute. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was the youth leader who played tricks on the youth. So, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> again, not illegal friends, just fun, fun ones. Um, then I was a college pastor. And I think that was probably when a number of things came together. Um because I was speaking regularly, we planted um, 
um, college congregations. We were just trying to do, I mean, it was a city which had 2% of people in church on a Sunday, which is either a disaster or a great opportunity, depending on the day. And and so you <laughs> had to keep on trying things. Do you know what I mean? You had to keep on. And, and it wasn't like even people were hostile to faith. They just didn't care. Nobody right. cared. Nobody cared. Right. So, um, you know, you had, England has its own religion. It's called soccer or football where we're from. Yeah. I mean, so... Everything else is like, why do you care about that? Um, And I think, and and because there aren't that many of us who who are Christians in the UK, I got invited to speak at things. Um, And it was hard. I've got to be honest. It was just, it it didn't feel like a, it it felt like I was just trying to be faithful with what I'd been asked to do. I was single. I was in my mid to late 20s. I actually thought it would ruin in my marriage prospects anyway. So it wasn't something where I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this. It was like (sighs) obedience, obedience. I I love that that clarification there because I meet so many people that say, I want to do your job or I want to be a pastor of a large church, or I want to be a singer and, you know, go on the Grammys and tell people about God, which that's been done. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) repeatedly. But to say, what area of God's, you know, advancement of his kingdom do I want to be a part of? And maybe that's going to be a senior leadership position. Maybe I'm going to be a youth pastor. Maybe I'm going to be a volunteer at a church, but the service doesn't change. Yeah, because I think it, it was it was key for my motives. I'm not saying everybody's like this. But I needed some way of understanding, framing this. And and also, I when I became a Christian, I was captured by this vision of God who was making all things new and joining his mission in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, this is, this is awesome. Sign me up. Put me somewhere. Tag me in. What does it look like? And um, I, I became a Christian in the, in the Methodist church and they had this covenant prayer mm. every year. And it was like, I'm no, no longer my own, but yours. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to what you will. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Um, exhorted for you or brought low for you. And then it, it goes on. But I, I think it kind wow. of disciples you into this understanding of I'm yours. Mm-hmm. Um if you get me involved, let me be focused on you. But maybe part of you calling me is I'm not doing anything that's particularly visible. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that those were great foundations because I think so much of what leadership has looked like for me has changed according to country, state, context, and season. Right. Um, the key point is that it was for him. Right. I love that that statement, that Methodist uh, uh, kind of recitation. Is that a John Wesley thing? I think so, yeah. And so um, I think it might be some context for the Wesleyan covenant prayer or the... And then, you know, they've changed the language because apparently the language is awkward. But, you know... (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. They've probably retitled that several times. Well, that's (laughs) that's awesome. Okay, now I have heard some incredible quotes from you. The Quotable Joe. I don't know if you know that's out there. There's a whole website. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Oh, um... But uh, I just want to read some of these, and I want you just to unpack them for us. Kind of, you know, what what do you think of when you hear that? Maybe some of these are are, are yours. Maybe some of these you've borrowed, and I, I don't even care because there's no new ideas under the sun. Okay, um, but I, I do want to know kind of your thinking behind it. Here's one: tread lightly through other people's stories. Mm. Oh gosh, yes, I remember. I don't remember when I particularly say that, but I know I say that a lot. Um, because you just don't know where someone's been. Yeah. 
And um, and I think, I mean, I'm a naturally gung-ho person. So the probably the reason why I know this most of all is because I'm like marched in challenging someone or something to say. And um and people are that there are there are parts of our history mm. there are reasons why we are the way we are there are parts of our stories um that are are important i i think it hit home again particularly when the me too movement um now we know that toronto book Burke started it years before it became widely known right. but when it kind of had that crescendo and i just thought there are all these stories that we haven't been listening to that we haven't heard there are all these lived experiences mm-hmm. um out, and and then particularly in the church that have that haven't been known and i i just i think part of that that statement was as we're leading we can get real passionate and not have any social skills <laughs> and, and i right. want to invite us to be listeners when you're walking through life with people. Um, and now sometimes there may be areas which are challenges necessary or saying something tough is necessary, but um, I don't know that we need to delight in doing that. We have to be aware as we do that. You know where I find people really do this well, treading lightly through people's stories, mm-hmm. is social media. They're just so good on there, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 somehow social media has given everybody a microphone and we get to just share our opinion at each other and it, and yeah. You're right. We've gotten really bad at listening, just hearing where people have come from and and why they think the way they do. You know, we yeah. we we talk a lot about the enneagram in my family because okay. we're talk, you know, we're all trying to figure each other out, right? <laughs> and my uh oldest daughter is a 5, which is an observer. Oh, cool. And uh mm. I, I've, I'm fascinated with her approach because she can take in a lot of people's stories before she ever responds. I think it just comes more natural for some people, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, I think there's something quite special about observing because you can, because it gives you a chance to actually see a person. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if we, if, if we see them, but don't really pay attention, there's, there's a whole, there's, everything that you'll miss in the room right. you'll miss the dynamics you'll miss when someone flinches and why you'll miss yeah. like why there's just a sudden dip, like a different expression on their face for a moment yeah. i think observing is a real gift i think it's a, and when it comes to leadership i think it is one of the gifts that we don't talk about much that is a skill some are naturally good at it like your daughter but i think there are some of us who would do well to sit at your daughter's feet and ask how she does it and yeah. Learn, yeah. honestly most of us are just waiting to speak aren't we <laughs> no one needs it now. That's right. As soon as you take a breath, I'm coming in. Okay, here's another quote. Uh, and I think you shared this at the uh, Global Leadership Summit a few years ago. Uh, who were you before anyone told you who you were supposed to be? Tell me, tell me a little bit about that statement. Man, what a, what a great, great statement to unpack. Yes. Um, I think it came out of, and I, it was part of one of the books I wrote um, called The Dream of You. And it came out of particularly watching women and, and women leaders and leaders of color and, and basically, but all people at particular chapters of their life, um, watching leaders of every ethnicity when they were tired hmm. Because I think we we start out with various things and life gets in the way. So part of the unpacking for me was there there was always gifts and abilities and everything. But then 
racism here, sexism here, broken parts of our family history there, and you morph according to your encounters and your experiences. You know, one email from somebody there, one church disaster here and there, and our leadership is shaped and redefined. And before you know it, we are our calling has become a reaction, a response to the wounds, to the weariness, to the to all the struggles, to the mistakes we've made, the like the overcorrections, the overcompensations. And so sometimes when I'm coaching people, I'm like, okay, let's stop. Let's stop for a moment and find out who we were before all of these things got in the way. Let's find out who God always said we were, what we were always gifted in. Before your teacher said, you'll never be any good at that. Mm. Before your parents said, you'll never be good enough. And that's not the, that, that wasn't the dream I had for you. Before society said, oh, well, you're a girl. Or, or society said, oh, but you're a guy. And all of these things. Who did God say you were? Because we won't live or love or lead. I'm really into alliteration, by the way. I just, I'm, I, I'm almost going to apologize. I just love it. So um, <laughs> I love that. It's like my thing. Um, but we'll never, we'll never come into the fullness of God's design when we are pushing against that design, ignoring that design, denying that design, rejecting that design. In, in your experience, because you deal with a lot of people and a lot of women, mm-hmm. at what age do you think we is, is like the oldest you've seen somebody go before that gets changed. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're really young and your parents get a divorce, I mean, that could shape you early. But it's almost like, man, nobody gets past their 20s without having some life-shaping events oh, in you. Oh, nobody gets past middle school. Okay, oh that's see, I, that was my theory. I think all of our lives change in junior high and the trajectory yeah, and- of them. I read somewhere, and I can't, I wish I, so forgive me, friends, I for, I, rest, I read somewhere that for girls, that they're at the most confident at nine. I read the same thing. Hmm. At and, nine years old. And it, it just rocked me to think that my girls, who are older than that, have already missed that. They've already hit the, the apex yeah. of, of security yeah. in life. Boy, that is, that is sad. And so, it's sober, isn't it? it yeah, yeah, it really is. So let me ask you, who were you? before somebody told you who you were supposed to be? I? Thing is, I think I got told pretty early. Um, <laughs> so there wasn't much time. <laughs> there wasn't much time. But I do remember I wanted to be Wonder Woman. I oh, well, sure. loved it. It was the 70s. I was um, Linda was Carter. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. The, anyway. <laughs> the OG. <laughs> The OG of Wonder Woman-ness. Um, I loved, and I loved the fact, I loved a number of things. I, rem- I remember loving the fact that nobody died <laughs> in yep. the thing. I mean, like, like she'd get the bad guys and then they'd come to and be dizzy and then they'd be arrested and taken off. I'm like, sure. happy endings. Right. Uh, um, but justice, I loved the fact that she helped people. I loved the fact that she clearly was a bit different from everybody else and that was just fine. Right. Um, and, and because I never, ever wanted to be a princess. I wanted to be involved in the rescuing. I did not want to be rescued. I'm like, I don't need to be sleeping beauty Wow. because all she does is nap. What's the point? I had this conversation with my daughters and they're like, mom, what's your favorite princess? I said, the ones with a job. (laughs) 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 I'm like, it's cute. You can be cute and do stuff. Do you know what I mean? You can. I never wanted to be a princess when I was a kid. I, I'm like, unless my princess was rescuing people right. or helping people or changing something, 
I mean, it's other, then it's just a dress otherwise. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, anyway. so for you, I mean, you really understood the, the Wonder Woman story. Yeah. Because it wasn't just a comic book for you or even watching the, the show once or twice. No. You knew her. Amazing. Yes, you, you knew her, her story. Yeah. Which the new ones are really good. Did you see the most recent one? You know what? I haven't seen the most recent one because I'm scared. You know why? Because I've heard bad things about it and I'm not Okay, ready. well, just lower your expectations and you'll be fine. But... <laughs> But you have to watch till the very end because there's a little special okay. thing in the credits that I think oh, you're right. gonna will make the whole movie worthwhile for you. Okay, fine. Okay, so let me give you this quote. You have one body and your leadership mm-hmm. lives in it. If your body could speak, what would it say? That came out of a crisis. Um, that came out of a crisis, a church crisis that we had about a decade ago. And on the other side of that crisis, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep and I was having panic attacks every night and I was anxiety attacks. I can't remember the exact definition now, but I would have three or four a night and I'd wake up. I'd wake up into these nightmares. It was weird, like waking up Mm. into a nightmare. And I remember clawing my throat and praying uh, because I couldn't breathe and saying, God, I just, uh, but being, being, um, in the day, in the day, because obviously I've got kids, got a husband, I've got a community that I'm taking care of. So in the day, I've got to have it together, got to have it together, got to have it together, and was neglecting my body, what my body was trying to say, which was everything is in meltdown. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to people. I had a counselor. I, although I didn't, I didn't neglect to tell the counselor that I hadn't slept for six months, and um, and it stopped when I started having heart palpitations, and. Um, and I ignored the heart palpitations for three days. Hmm. Um, because you're Wonder Woman, you can make it. Because and because I felt I had no choice. I think that oh, was the, yeah. that was the that was the thing. I thought I thought I don't have a choice on this. I have to have it together. Um, and then on the third day, I thought perhaps I should call a doctor. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I called the doctor. And whenever I'm nervous around doctors, I tell jokes. <laughs> and so, I, so I'm like on their phone to the doctor and they're like, we need you to get in here now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, and, and, and um, I think they sent me to urgent care in the end, which I have not always known to be urgent. But when I got there, <laughs> I'm like packing snacks and things. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. it's like but going I'm, to the DMV. You're going to be there a while. Yeah, except the one in San Pedro, but that's another story. Okay, um, that's amazing. You heard it from me, Californians. Okay, well, Santa um, Paula is the one we go to, and there's nobody there. It's awesome. It's amazing. But <laughs> I digress. So I get in. I get into urgent care. Tell them I've had heart palpitations, and they rush me through straight away. Mm. Um. And I'm, and I remember sitting there, and it wasn't until I sat there in the robe, all the electrodes and all the beeping that I remember saying, "I think I've been really stupid here." Mm. And um, the doctor a- asking me, he said, "Look, your heart's fine, but we need to work out why you're having this." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, "Do you sleep?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I did in February." Mm-hmm. And he said, and he put, his, I was like slow motion. He puts the pen down. He puts everything down. He looks at me and he said, Mrs. Saxton, it's October. Okay. So let me ask you about that. What do you mean you didn't sleep for six months? Just struggle with insomnia in and out of sleep, sleepless in and nights. Out of sleep and okay. four panic attacks a night. Four panic attacks a night? Mm-hmm. Oh, eventually. Initially, it was just one. Um, but four, four or five. And I'd stay up later because I'd be like, if I get really tired, then maybe I'll sleep through. Sure. That's what we all think. I mean, did, did they 
I mean, did you ever try melatonin or uh, NyQuil or something? Dude, I've had kids. Do you know what I mean? I've had kids. So I'm, I'm used on one level. There was a kind of, well, I guess we're back in those toddly or that kind of baby years. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just like, I slept on two hours sleep. There. I mean, I, I did things on two hours sleep then. Sure. Um, but that was because my child decided to play in, yeah. the, middle, in the middle of the night. So uh, so initially, I just, that kind of mode kicked in. I didn't try melatonin or anything because I'm slightly paranoid about it. But <laughs> and, I, and also because then I'd have to admit something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I'd, I, I'd have to admit something was wrong. This I was, I was busy just trying to cope and cope and cope and cope and cope and cope and cope. I mean, I even did a half marathon in that time. I just didn't sleep. A half marathon on no sleep. That's, that is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty weird, actually. It's, I, I don't recommend. So what, what, why is it you were, you were kind of scared to examine this? Hey, we'll be back to the podcast in just a second, but I wanted to let you know that I get a chance to go out and speak on this book that I've written called After Amen once in a while, and we've got a few churches coming up. I'd love to see you. If you're a listener to the show and you happen to make it to one of these churches, I'd love to say hi. I'm going to be at Joplin, Missouri, Indianapolis, Indiana, Kansas City, Missouri. You can direct message me on Instagram at Rusty L. George and find out the exact church and date and directions to get there. Would love to to see you then. Now, back to the show. You were kind of scared to examine this. Um, I just didn't want everything to come crumbling down. And now the thing is, everything had already come crumbling, become crumbling down. But I have from, again, from a very young age, the narrative has been, look, it's not going to be fair for you anyway. You're black, you're a woman, you're going to have to work at least twice as hard. That's what you do when things are tough. You work harder. Hmm. when you're rejected you work harder this isn't this wasn't a special occasion this was life this was my childhood this was my parents childhood adulthood these were my aunts and my cousins lives we um we're immigrants you know and so and as such we had all the labels that immigrants had you came to steal our jobs who do you think you are you're never on time for things you're sexually promiscuous or whatever the thing was at the time and so you had we had this like we we will take the abuse, we will deal with the harassment, we will deal with the patronising, we will deal with the condescension, we will deal with the low expectations of anything beneficial, high expectations of your criminality or something, and we will carry on. We carry wounds, we carry scars, we carry on. That's what we do. And so that's what I did. So you you finally crash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, how did you get better? How long did it take? Um, I, I remember going to the doctors. Um, he, my doc, my, the urgent care guy's like, he said, look, he said, Mr. Saxton, I, I, I wish you well. Do you know what I mean? He's like, I need you to be well now. Right. Um, so I went to the other doctor, um, anti-anxiety meds. Um, they decided that they didn't want me to have in sleeping stuff because it kind of gives you heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they gave me anti-anxiety meds. I went, I kind of doubled down with the counseling. I kept on running because it's what I do. Um, and it's life giving for me. I talked a lot. I walked a lot. I wept as I walked a lot. They said it would take a while to start sleeping. I told my friends I wasn't sleeping. Everybody knew everything else. They just didn't know I wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And um, and so I had people watch me closer. Like they're like, "So did you sleep last night?" That's a lot of pressure. Go to bed. And sometimes you need that. Do you know what I mean? Other people they're asking you about are you forgiven or how are your vices. When actually, what I needed to be asked was, "What time did you go to bed?" Yeah. That was the area of accountability for me. Mm. I, I want to say it took a few months. It took a few months. Um, it took it, yeah, it, a lot of caving in, um, but it was good. I, I'm not sure how long it took, but all that to say, I learned how easy it, I think it was one of the first moments of me recognizing, you know, if your body's out, you're out. Yeah. If your body's out, you're out. Doesn't matter what kind of gifting you have or what kind of platform or voice or whatever. Exactly. And I think, and I'm really glad that we do a lot of work or an increasing amount of work asking about the state of our hearts and our minds. Um, I just want us to also talk about the state of your bodies because sometimes what's happening in your heart and mind is coming out there. So true. So with that in mind, having lived through that, you know, we're all coming out of the, the COVID you know, season or year or whatever it is we want to call it. And I think there are some of us that are going to come out of this thinking, okay, I'm rested and ready to roll, Mm -hmm. but, but we're not paying attention to how maybe mentally and emotionally exhausted we are from the high decision fatigue, the lack of control. What do you see in people are going to probably have to face over the next six months or so that kind of were the wounds they, they collected during COVID? Um, I, I think there are a number of things. Um, one, I think the temptation to be nostalgic instead of prophetic, I think, cause we want to go back to normal yeah. and we extend and then we go back to normal and we're going to be wanting to go back to a world that no longer exists. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I why am I thinking about all these old school movies right now? Planet of the apes, right? Sure. Back in the day. Yeah. And I can't even remember which one of the planet of the apes it was, but there's that moment and but Charlton Heston's in it. And he comes out of something and he sees like the Statue of Liberty out of the, coming out of the sand or something like that. And he's like, yep. ah! yeah, <laughs> it's like whatever you thought you used to be in doesn't happen anymore. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to step outside and see the Statue of Liberty outside unless you're a New Yorker in the vicinity of that area. Uh-huh. But how we do things, how we lead, what matters those things are in flux and probably will be for a while. I think we, I don't know that we have a new normal as much as we have an emerging landscape. Mm, that's good. That is, it's not arrived yet. And we would love some arrival. We would love, so I think we have to watch for that. I think we have to acknowledge the reality of how grief has impacted every member of our family and community. Mm. You know, what does grief look like for your teenagers? What does grief look like for your elementary school kids? What does grief look like for your elders, your seniors in the community? What are the losses, the collective losses? And can and can you have that much grief without a funeral? Mm, that's good. What does it look like to acknowledge that we need, how do we name, um, how do you name what's been lost? Then and, and here's the thing, it's not just been COVID. It has been the racial uprising. If you as a leader, and you may not be the, you may be from the majority culture. If you do not acknowledge, I'm not saying you have to understand it all, although you kind of do, but, um, or at least learn. If you do not acknowledge that that has added a distinct layer on in terms of COVID, but also people's feelings of, of worth, belonging, opportunity, then um, you're going to miss some things. Yeah. Because all of that has been exacerbated in our, it, it, and you may have only noticed it, but 
I'll put it this way. I remember someone, one of my friends from the UK, a pastor interviewing me and saying, what did you feel when, obviously you live in Minneapolis and all the things with George Floyd and everything. Um, how did you feel? And I said, I felt angry. And, he's, and, and I said, let me tell you when I felt angry. I said, I felt angry when people in the UK started protesting. And he said, why? And I said, because it was always there. Mm. Always there. I said, I have relatives who were beaten within an inch of their lives. I said, so my, and so I had, to, I literally had to come away and I said to the Lord, Lord, why am I angry like this? Cause I'm like raging angry. I've got mm-hmm. enough skills to kind of hold it in, but I know me and, and it's grief. It's grief because it's because yeah. people are acknowledging something which hasn't been acknowledged because me and my mum are having, having conversations about riots. And we had the same conversation 40 years ago. As leaders, we will have to acknowledge that you are carrying that there's this collective grief and trauma that people are going to be walking in and walking with, as well as you. <laughs> right. As well as you. And that's that's hard. It's real hard. It is. And I, I think that the normal ways that we would deal with grief, which let's just take the death of a family member. Mm-hmm. You would be with them when they passed. Yeah. You would have a funeral. You would be with loved ones. You would sit around the house and have potlucks and casseroles and those kind of things just to kind of grieve. We haven't had any of those, but people have still died. More people have died. More people died. Right. And so you, you've kind of lost all those opportunities for natural grieving. But based upon what, what you have experienced, what are some signs in our bodies, minds, hearts that would indicate, oh, there's a lot. There's a loss you have not grieved, as our friend Carrie Newhoff says. Ministry is a series of ungrieved losses. Yeah. Obviously, you talked about sleep, heart palpitations, those kind of things. Anything else come to mind? I mean, I was thinking of the time when I curled up in the fetal position and wept. That was what. <laughs> is, is that not normal? Because I do that daily. <laughs> um, I think anger. Yeah. Anger is a secondary emotion. Yeah. Um, uh, and fear or pain. I think anxiety yeah. is one to watch. I think depression, honestly. Um, yeah. I sometimes procrastination. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What are you really reticent? You, there may be like you've been trying to get the ignition or vision going and yeah. you just won't come. It just because, you, because, and honestly, if you get to the why, it's because what's the point? Because you prayed and fasted about 2020. You remember when we all had the 2020 vision? Vision. Yeah. And yeah. then this happened. Do you know what I mean? You're like, oh, great. I, know. I, I think of all the things. And the, like you said, you said, you know, that we've lost people and we haven't had a funeral or get together or a wake or anything or whatever our, our homegoing um, rituals are. How do you have a ritual for a lost dream? Mm. How, do you have a, uh, uh, how do you have a ritual for a lost church planting um, um, building campaign or church planting initiative or book tour or how do you have a ritual for a lost prom or a lost I wanted to see my kid go to prom or how do you have and and I think that's the the weird nuance yeah how do you have a ritual for a I miss the way politics once was Mm -hmm. or I a ritual for a lost norm this is how we used to function this is what I did in the day I used to wear Jeans. Now I call them hard pants. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean how do you how do you <laughs> a ritual for 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 that? For the for getting together and game day and and that. I 
And I think part for us as leaders coming out of or emerging into this landscape, we may see the fog before people, but we may, we may not see through the fog. And so we'll have to, innovation is going to demand a lot of us whilst we might be yeah. innovating for tears. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I have to remind myself, you know, that old adage that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And, you know, we've all, as leaders, we've taken these shots from people yep. over the course of COVID, you know, depending on what stance we've taken or lack of stance. Yeah. And we don't line up with people in the way they think. Mm-hmm. And so they take these shots at us. And I think it would be wise for us all to remember that everybody's grieving something. Yeah. And sometimes their attack at us is a result of an attack on them and to kind of peel behind that. And it gets back to the listening thing all over again. People are a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we're not like that, aren't you? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We got it all together. Okay. So <laughs> I want to talk about your newest book. You've written, I believe, three books. So it's your latest book called Ready to Rise. Boy, if they're if there uh, is a better title coming out of COVID, I don't know what it is. And um, it's a rough time to, to put out a book. Uh, my, my latest book launched in October, right during the election and the pandemic. So I basically my mom bought it. Uh, but you've got this great book kind mm-hmm. of projecting us into the future, ready to rise. Tell us about this book, where it came from. Yeah, well, and it, it actually, I mean, here's a weird thing. It actually came out in April, just that, you know, that week of that everything must shut down. Yes, exactly. Raise your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Raise your eyes. I'm like, Joy. It came out of, <laughs> <laughs> it came out of um, me meeting lots of women leaders, really gifted, really talented innovators, some in business some in ministry had all these dreams and stuff and they just didn't know how, mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know what, and, and so many, so apologetic about it mm-hmm. and thinking, you know, these gifts you have are phenomenal. And, and so I'd have these conversations often, often in the ladies room where, which would, the ladies room would become a coaching session to whoever was listening. <laughs> Joe, Joe, is that you? I'm like, yes, it is. But yeah. okay, here we are. <laughs> but they'd be asking questions about. So, how did you know God was calling you? How did you start out in writing? How did you start out in speaking? What did ministry mean to you? Did, wh- what did you do when someone said you shouldn't be there because you're a woman? Did it matter how you? I mean, all these kinds of questions. And how do you get past the times when someone rejected you? And I thought, okay, first of all, these are really powerful questions. And two, it is a travesty. It is an absolute travesty that the only place a woman gets to ask that is in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. When these are questions that will redefine your leadership and your life. Mm. And and comic aside, because it happened more than once. Um, and you know, past the Kleenex in the bathroom as someone's weeping through their story. Yeah. And I'm just Can you like, spare a square? There is a whole world here. <laughs> There's a whole world here of people who don't have access access to opportunities and environments that will bring out the best. And I think the question, the frustration was this for me. Well, there was, there were twofold frustration. One, my own frustration from my own story is that I grew up without access and opportunity. That has probably been one of the markers of my story. And God's redemption was giving me access and opportunity and all of that. Um, so I know what happens when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. No matter how gifted you are and how talented you are, there are way more talented people out there who just don't have access. But I, I think the other frustration was, as I looked at these women and talked to these women and then reflected, and some of them were being airports or whatever as well, 
airport bathrooms or whatever, <laughs> where, where um, I would ask myself, what are we missing out on because these women aren't having the chance? You know, what businesses aren't being started? What churches aren't, aren't up and running? What nonprofits aren't being, wow. aren't, what books aren't being written? What songs aren't happening? What courageous conversations in a family that would address the fact that your spouse is an alcoholic that could get them the help they needed? You know what I mean? So the big things, um, relatively small in the sense of it's just your family system, but has huge implications, things. Mm. I thought, what are we missing out on here? Because again, I was captured by the vision of a God who was doing, renewing all things, Mm. who was making all things new in our bodies, in our families, in our communities, in our cities, on our earth. And there are all these people who are like, yeah, I want to be part of it. Oh, but I'm busy apologizing for my ideas. So I've kept them in my mind and I've told nobody. And the only way I'm going to share it is when I'm speaking with the speaker through tears in the toilet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I think that's the title for your next book. Yeah. Leadership Lessons from the Toilet. Dude. So or the loo. <laughs> okay, so let me just be the resident dumb guy here and um, just ask from a, a male perspective. How could we do a better job to empower women? I would, and I would invite guys to remember a couple of things. One, well, and when I say a couple, it's going to be about 13, but okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and alliterated. And I, I, don't tempt me. I'm so excited. Um, one thing I want you to know is that when you walk through the world – particularly in the US, but I think this is true of many other cultures. Actually, it is true. Um, you see leaders around you. You see leaders in your church, male speakers, in politics, in all of these spaces, CEOs of companies. There is, um, you get these visual images of all that you can be all the time, all the time, um, that remind you. And um, Marion Wright Edelman um, said, it's hard to be what you can't see. And so one of the things I would say is that there are a number of women who have dreams and ideas who are wondering if they can do it because they only hear about Deborah. Well, they don't often, but they only hear about one of them, a woman in the Bible doing some stuff on Mother's Day. As though it's kind of and like Mary's like, really, can we can you get me out at any other time? I have this whole Magnificat, which is a theological treatise, and you bring me out once a year. Fine. Do you know? <laughs> Deborah's like, seriously? Now? You don't even know if I was a mother, and now you're bringing me up. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Guilty as charged. Uh, so that, so there's, a, there's that piece. I would, I would want you to know that. And, and remember... We've been hearing voices about our worth and our value long before. It didn't start with you. It didn't start with you and leading in your church and all that kind of stuff. It's on your billboards. It's in the magazines. It's that there are more CEOs in America called John than there are women CEOs. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's an actual stat. Um, so there's that piece. Um, that's one thing I'd want, I'd want them to know in terms of the environment. Um, I know that you may feel like you are really welcoming and that you like you just... If, why don't they say? Why don't they say that they want to lead? Why don't they say that they want to speak? Because if they've never seen them, they don't know if they can. Mm. And, and, it, now, and, and in some contexts, part of your theological understanding is that that's not what you do. But what do they do? Have you said that? <laughs> so there's that piece. Mm. Um, I would say the training vehicles. Now, this is a tender one. And, and I will 
probably tread on some toes, but I don't care. So we're going to, because, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, it does, but you know what I mean? We're still friends, brothers. We can just, you can just be like, you're my sister I disagree with. Welcome to my family. So, (laughs) so. When you're thinking of training training women, what are the environments that you are creating to make that possible? Because with it, if it's a guy, they come with you to some place, they do that thing. Well, but, oh, it's a woman. Oh, my gosh. And you want to have appropriate boundaries. And what happens way too often is we want to have the appropriate boundaries. I'm, get, I'm down with your boundaries. I'm fine about your boundaries. What are you doing instead then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you with an alternate plan or did you just by accident without using your gifts your talents and your very robust innovation create a different pathway a pipeline of developing female leaders because what happened because you and i know you and i know um, so many leaders are extroverts but even for the introverts there's all kinds of strategic stuff happening when you're in those casual conversations and the women aren't there because you've set a boundary, which says you don't travel alone with them. And so then you're looking at your leader saying, who's coming through and you're like, Oh, he's a good guy. He's saying all these things. He's spoken into this. He's given me perspective. Oh, you know, she's a great woman, but I've just not heard her say anything. And maybe she's not ready for it. Mm. Maybe she's not open. Maybe. Oh, and, and, and I don't, and I, I do believe in her, but she's not come forward. He's told me things mm. that he wants to, he's told me spaces. She's not said anything or she just kind of looks frustrated or, or she, or maybe I've got to think of her family or I've got to think of her life. And I'm like, you're doing a lot of thinking for her without talking to her. Mm. And, that, and, and, at all you've or you don't realize that you've inadvertent inadvert and, I, and honestly i do believe in a lot of cases this is completely accidental that because we haven't thought through the pipeline of leadership and what it looks like to um invite encourage train give feedback to and then um and elevate a leader mm. they don't come through mm-hmm. but you have to things because it may look different because you're like oh you know if there's a guy who you're like investing in if you're a male leader there's a guy you're investing in and there's some lifestyle stuff and you're like i'm just going to challenge him on this and you can have well you're not going to do with with that female leader because you're like but have you worked out then here's the number of the person you call here's the coaching platform you take you said if you haven't thought about the pipeline it may not happen and when i say may well let's look at the evidence Mm -hmm. it's not yeah. So I think that's the thing. Um, and I I think each of us now and not every woman wants to lead. Not every woman's called to lead. Um, not every not every woman feels that she women should be leading. That's not what I'm saying. But I but if this is something you believe, if you believe if, if that women are and to be honest, I'm saying this to you again, whatever your language. If you feel that women are called to lead other women, train them to do so. If you believe women can lead women and men, train them to do so. Mm. And, and train them well. Yeah. These are made in the image of God, people. Right. Um, there's all this kind of and, – and I think then once you've done that, like with all our best evaluations, think of what your plan is and then ask if it worked. Right. <laughs> and if it didn't work, try something else. That's so good. And I love the practicality of that. It makes so much sense. Okay, so let me, let me ask it from the other side. Um, how would you encourage a woman to assert herself in a way that brings empowerment to her uh, in a way that is beneficial? Okay. Oh, well, 
and I probably nuance this depending on ethnicity because um, because there, there is different nuance. There is different cultures, different cultural values. There are some cultures which to assert yourself goes against every single thing you've been raised to do. Let me give you an example. Nigerian families, you don't really call your elders by their first name. It's disrespectful. It's it, it took me years. It took me years. In my first, in the first church I worked in, I was a youth pastor, college pastor. Church. I didn't need to be called it. I didn't mind what I was called. But to call some of the senior leaders by their first name was, it was jarring for me. Right. It was, I felt like I was just being rude all the time. I was like, I, I wasn't raised to do this. I wasn't raised to speak to you like this. I wasn't raised to address you like this. No, we weren't raised to have jokes with our past. No. That's just weird. Mm -hmm. That's not what we do, you know? And I remember there was a Japanese guy on my team and he said to me, he goes, Joe, and I said, I said, do you find it hard to call first names? He goes, oh, thank God. And we both commiserated for an hour on how disrespectful we felt and how we felt we were violating our cultures. And so I think there is a twofold thing again for the leaders when you're thinking of the, of the, what is the family, what is the cultural nuance there? in your community mm-hmm. um, that that may be that may prevent someone coming forward and and that's male and female but particularly female in this in this instance so for the women i would say this um, um ask yourself what is there a cultural thing here that's causing you to hold back um and is that the culture of the leaders that you're working with because they <laughs> they may not see it oh there's such a re-education happening um so there's that um I I would ask, I, I think I probably would ask you, who were you before anybody told you who you were supposed to be? Not because of the who were you, but what were you told? Yeah. Are you afraid of asserting yourself because it feels bossy? It feels um, domineering, aggressive? What are the labels that you've lived under that you have had to push yourself down? You know, mm. uh, I, I'm like, I'm not allowed to, am I allowed to be an angry black woman? Or is there a whole cultural trope? there mm-hmm. that I'm going to have to navigate my way through mm-hmm. um, and if I I'm from an extrovert I'm I'm Nigerian the the tribe because Nigerian um, culture has tribes the tribe I'm from is quite an extroverted expressive thing to someone else that's shouting mm-hmm. I'm not I don't think I'm shouting me and my family talk like this all the time but so there are there's a whole cultural lens and yeah. I then I would I would ask I would invite every woman to make sure you've got somebody around you you can say who you are to like I, my best friend she, we have a very different very different professional lives but I'm allowed to be me to her I'm allowed to be I have friends where I'm unapologetically myself um because you just got to breathe out somewhere <laughs> breathe out right um, and then I think I, I used to tell my pa I used to email my pastor and say hey um, and I, and I would sometimes CC somebody in, I would CC his PA or not, because I'm like, look, I need you to know, I ain't trying to do anything weird here. I'm just trying to be faithful to my calling. I'm just trying to be faithful. So I'd email and say, look, I don't know what to do about this, but I feel this is something God has called me to, um, any recommendations? That's good. Um, any recommendations, any thing, um, any suggestions those things would come up sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I would do I, I would do your research. Google is your friend now. Do you know what I mean Google is your friend to find out who's doing it? And those things might help give you ideas of the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask your pastor if he knows any female pastors who are doing the thing or or leaders. Let them be your networker. Yeah. 
Oh, um, th- those sorts of things are, are great starting places. Um, I want to remind you, you have agency. I know you may feel powerless. You do have agency. That's You have the ability to make decisions. That's so good. Such a good word. And Joe, I know that you have uh, you have a podcast uh, called Lead Stories, which I've listened to. It's very good. Uh, <laughs> and listen, I admire anybody who picks up a mic and decides to do this kind of thing because just getting the technology to work is uh, <laughs> half the battle. <laughs> oh, but you've got three books. You're uh, a sought after speaker. Um, and all around great target shopper. So where can people find you? Uh, tell us your website. JoeSaxton.com okay. is, um, yeah, I kept it basic. And on all the kind of socials, at Joe Saxton. Okay. At Joe. Well, great. Well, I want to encourage our listeners to go and, and hear more from Joe. And Joe, this has been so, so rich, so good. I'd love to have you back if you'd ever find yeah. time for us. and. That'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be a good time. If you're ever out in California, let us know. We'd love to have you over. So as soon as as soon as we can, I will be running there. Running. <laughs> Do you have snow on the ground right now? Yeah. Loads. 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't measure by inches anymore, it's just loads. It's just I mean Yeah, no. At this point, it's just there. Yep. <laughs> it's, it, it'll be there until it's part of the landscape. Well listen, thank you so much for this. Well, thanks for listening. Boy, I tell you what, uh, I just like drinking from a uh, fire hydrant. She is so fun, so smart, and uh, just so much energy. And if you've listened to this podcast on two times speed, you probably had to dial it back a little bit. Boy, she's great. So we look forward to having Joe back again. Thank you to Joe for being here. Uh, Next month, we kick off a brand new set of podcasts with some great guests. Can't wait for you to be back for that. But make sure that you uh, have subscribed to the podcast so you get it every Wednesday. Never miss one. I always get the bonus ones as well. Well, and make sure you share this with a friend. I bet you know someone out there, uh, possibly who's female and just needs to be encouraged or empowered. This will help them. Or maybe somebody who's male and they need to be educated on how to empower women. Send it to them as well. Uh, As always, contact me on Instagram. You can direct message me at Rusty L. George. And now you know what the L stands for. We'll talk to you next month. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.